Hey everyone, welcome to this week's release of the Hashrate Happy Hour podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, the Texas Blockchain Council, a Bitcoin-first, nonprofit industry organization working to make Texas the jurisdiction of choice for Bitcoin mining and blockchain innovation. They will be hosting North America's premier policy conference for Bitcoin and the digital asset ecosystem on November 15th through the 17th in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information, please visit their website at texasblockchaincouncil.org. Today's show is a special one. I have the pleasure of having on two guests at the same time, Holden Gillis and Todd Behrend. Both guests are coming from Merkle Standard. Merkle Standard is committed to building North America's largest sustainable digital asset mining platform. With a specific focus on vertical integration, the company has prioritized renewable energy at its developed sites. Holden is coming to the conversation with years of private equity, research, and investment analysis experience and brings a uniquely economic perspective to the Bitcoin mining industry. My other guest, Todd, is coming with over 30 years of experience in a broad range of roles, all mostly focused on engineering and site optimization. He is bringing a very mechanically focused perspective to the conversation. The dynamics of both Todd and Holden on this episode are absolutely fantastic, and they both are able to shed light on completely different areas of the Bitcoin mining operation. During today's show, we start with a deep dive on how Merkle Standard was able to acquire the paper mill in Ponderay as a distressed asset and how they are finding unique ways to diversify the income of the asset with Bitcoin mining as just one of the revenue streams. We also discuss some of the challenges that Merkle Standard has been facing when it comes to setting up a Bitcoin mining operation in a small town and how they are overcoming that. We then get into how Merkle is finding creative ways to engage the local economies and helping educate them on what Bitcoin mining is. And then lastly, we wrap up by discussing some of the best practices for communicating exactly how Bitcoin mining is a net positive for a small local economy. Like I said, this is a, a fantastic conversation because we're able to get two different perspectives within the company to help shed light on how an industrial scale Bitcoin miner can successfully integrate itself into a small economy. And with that, I hope that you enjoy today's discussion with Holden and Todd. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Like I said in the introduction, today's kind of a, a special fun episode. I've got two guests on today. I've got Holden Gillis and Todd Barron. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Ben. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And Holden, I, I hope I know you just told me how to pronounce your last name. I hope I didn't butcher that right out of the gate. Uh, that was perfect. You got it. <laughs> okay, awesome. In there. Awesome. Well, Guys, I'm excited. Um, first podcast episode where I've got two guests on. So it's going to be great to have both perspectives. Um, and I'm excited to jump into this. I think what's going to help the audience the most is to actually give background for both of yourselves. Um, just that way, we, we kind of know where you're both coming from and, and we can just take the conversation from there. So Holden, do you want to start and just give us a Give us a quick glimpse of your background. Yeah, for sure. And it's good that I start because uh, say the best for last with Todd. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get into Bitcoin mining or even Bitcoin uh, that long ago. It was around November of 2021 
when I, I saw this weird job application. I was working in sell-side equity research uh, for industrial and agricultural companies. And I saw this job application that was like, yeah, we're a distressed private equity shop, but we also might have something to do with Bitcoin. And I was like, huh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've never actually read about Bitcoin. I've heard about it. My friends invested in it, made money. Um, so I submitted my application in the interview. These guys are talking about all these things like hash rate and exahash. And I had no idea what they were saying. <laughs> I, I just nodded my head and pretended. I uh, came back for the second interview. Somehow I got it. Um, and I told them, I actually had no idea what you guys were talking about in the first one. But I read all these papers. I read the white paper. And this is what I know now. I, I'll work hard and, and try my best. Um, and so I got the job. <laughs> I feel like I got lucky. But it's it's turned out great so far. I, I come from more of an academic perspective when I think about mining. And my, my background was in mathematical economics in school um right so i one I, I saw bitcoin as this interesting way of of transacting um after reading the white paper i was like okay this this is novel this makes sense but i'm, like, I'm not sure about a business centered around creating these things <laughs> and that was my elementary view at the time um but then as i started getting to the economics of bitcoin i was like this is actually a Bitcoin mining. This is actually a really interesting system um, where as long as Bitcoin's a useful means of transaction, then you're creating this system that incentivizes the lowest lowest cost producer of compute um, to, to stick around and for the, this to be those like this competitive dynamic of a race to the bottom to continually lower the cost of compute over time. And I think for me that was the most exciting aspect of this is integrating power markets and computation to create this innovation for the future that incentivizes companies to create low, low cost compute. Right. So that's been my driving force and why I'm so excited to work in this in industry. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the economic brain that I got going when I, when I think about this stuff. Yeah. Well, and I, I have to say, Holden, you just summed up everything I'm excited about in the most elegant and eloquent way possible. I, I mean, part of the the drive to start the podcast was exactly what you just said. It's this this perfect marriage of energy and this brand new industry with a brand new asset class attached to it. You just have a much more polished way of saying it. So I really appreciate that. That that's fantastic, um, Todd. I'd love to hear your background as well. And um, just like Holden, how did your background and past lead you to Bitcoin mining? Yeah, well, so I got out of college right after Holden did um, in <laughs> 80. Uh, okay, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but so initially I worked in Petrochem and uh, I was a reliability engineer and I got kind of um, a glimpse of how machinery works and optimization, all that kind of uh, process improvement kind of uh, mindset and then I wanted to move back to the Pacific Northwest and I found a little tiny paper mill that was looking for an engineer. So I, I moved to that little tiny paper mill and because it was so small, again, I got involved in a lot of different things. Uh, one of the things that was one of my focus for the entire career was heat recovery and, and secondary use of energy. The, the paper mill was actually built tightly integrated so that electrical energy was used to make pulp. And then the heat from that was used to make steam to dry the pulp on the paper machine. So 
um, it was really, we got about three uses out of most of the energy and that's what made it a competitive site for many years. Um, unfortunately, I'd moved through a number of, of different positions in the, in the, uh, enterprise over 30 years almost of, of, uh, working for them, but they filed bankruptcy in, in 2020. Uh, they, it's a distressed industry in any case and COVID yeah. pretty much put the nail in the coffin. So, um, it, the paper mill was focused on making newsprint paper. So advertising is their lifeblood and nobody was advertising because nobody wanted anybody to come into a store at that particular time. So that was the end of the road for that enterprise. I stayed with the, the site when they sent everybody home cause it went bankrupt. It was a chapter seven liquidation. Um, <clears throat> so let me think about that one. Is that right, Holden? Chapter seven is liquidation. Chapter 11 is uh, reorganization. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we had already been through an 11 with the company, redid itself once. But, uh, so in any case, stayed with the bankruptcy trustee to try to market the place and presented all kinds of different um, potential scenarios for the site to a number of different investors. So kind of definitely got a chance to think about it from many, many different perspectives. And then right at the last second, it was going to go up for option and uh, auction that is, and probably be um, scrapped out. But the investors with a small family office called all rise saw the potential in the electrical infrastructure. And they actually were at just the last moments possible to get into the auction. So they jumped on it and, uh, so I was also really impressed with their ability to just make a decision and execute in a hurry. Um, the paper industry is not known for that. It's uh, known for quite the opposite. Sure. Make sure that you analyze until the opportunity is over and then spend your money. Um, so sure. the, the initial conversations were about restarting the paper mill, but with a recognition that since it had already been distressed enough to close obviously it needed some diversification the substation had a lot of excess capacity there's about 225 megawatts worth of transformers hooked up right now um, and the paper process only needs about 87 so it's clear there was some real oh, opportunity wow. there yeah so then we over the next few months, we initially made some investments into Ethereum and also uh, got started a little bit in Bitcoin. Uh, about that time, the Merkle Standard was formed, which was um, aimed at, at some joint ventures. And we formed a, a mining company on the same site. So Merkle Standard and then a subsidiary called Cascade Digital and uh so Cascade operates about, there's 100 megawatts of capacity, but depending on the power prices, we vary on how much of that we actually sure. consume. Today, because of the seasonal power prices, we're running 74 megawatts. Uh, <clears throat> so really, it was the way I got into it was I happened to be on the site, and there was a new opportunity for the site. and. I've always found it interesting to learn new things anyway. So I dived in, learned a little bit about mainly the infrastructure okay. side of 
mining. So I'm not nearly as versed on the technical side and the financial side like Holden. It, my main focus has been the care and feeding of the miners. Sure. Yeah. Well, and uh, fortunately for, for you, Todd, I also am fascinated and mostly interested in the, the hardware and infrastructure side of the discussion. So I think uh, I think we're all in good company here. I have to back up and ask, you said that, you know, this was kind of put in front of some different investment groups and kind of up at, up in an auction. Um, what were some of the other ideas that were coming across for the paper mill? Well, so in addition to the very robust substation, there are just huge buildings that, that house. I don't know if you've ever been in a paper mill, but it's it's large equipment. So there were some of the investors that were interested in just using that space and trying to use some kind of discrete manufacturing like electronics or um, some wood products. Um, one One was a company that wanted to do veneer and and build a whole finishing room in some of the buildings. Uh, Mind you, most of this is during COVID. So capital was harder to come by, I think, for some of those. And and so they they had a real hard limit on what they could afford to pay for the site. There's some environmental, um, some permitting and reporting that is it's not cheap for a paper mill it's very valuable and we've maintained it but mm-hmm. it just kind of adds to the overhead for some kind of a discrete manufacturing operation that might not have great margins to start with so uh, never really could put together one that made sense and there was a a, a couple of just scrap dealers that that saw the value in all these electric motors and all that so it started to look there the I guess the most conversation I had was another paper company. They wanted to convert the paper machine to make a different kind of pulp mm. or excuse me, kind of paper, but it required a new pulp mill as well. So significant investment. Um, but power prices, I don't know if you're familiar with the clean energy transformation yeah. act in Washington. So when that really became, um, I guess well known, it was a few months after it was passed actually, but then the effect of that started to hit the power markets in the spring of 20. Let me think here, 21 spring of 21, about, you know, February, March, I started to see an uptick in power prices as, as the market speculated on what the effect might be of that. Um, to this day, it's really still mostly speculative what that'll be. So, um, but in any case, that, that was why the paper company backed out. They, they saw the power prices coming up, thought that was too big of a risk and, and elected not to purchase the, the site. Sure. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I was just curious what uh, what other people were coming up with as far as like ideas for for that type of a site. That's uh, that's interesting. Um, so I I know that you know, and we'll get into it later on in the conversation. So Merkel Standard has a couple of different sites, but Pondere is the flagship, and that that's what we've just spent the bulk of our time talking about is the the Pondere. Uh, paper mill site. Um, I do want to just stay on that track for a little bit longer. Could you guys give me some context and hold in maybe this one's coming to you? You know, how did Merkel actually stumble across this and, and how did you get like, what was the context? What was the thinking and, and like, what, what drove you guys to this? 
I think I know yeah. the answer, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the softball up for you. I mean, yeah. What, what drove us to the opportunity? One was I joined after Allrise had made this bid on the paper mill, uh, and also to back up and give some context, like for the size of this thing, I think Todd may have undersold it. Imagine you have houses, and the houses are like loaves of bread. Inside the paper mill, rolling pins to load, like roll that house sized uh, loaf of bread. It is some of the biggest machinery you'll ever see. Um, and it, it's an amazing sight, but it always got it lying dormant. Um, always had a history of mining Ethereum. Um, but right, we have this 225 megawatt substation on site. And so the real thinking was what is the valuation of this thing if we say we can create a Bitcoin mine and, and get funding to do it and have Bitmain as a partner? Right. So there's, all these things that were set in place before actually starting uh, operating on the site and, and, and building out the mining infrastructure. Um, and this was during right 2021 when markets were going crazy. Bitcoin miners were being valued off these really silly um, enterprise value to exahash multiples uh, based on 2022 year end. Right. So you're talking about over a year out. Um, and that's really what attracted us to the opportunity. Um, as, as a distressed investing office as we're looking at it like, hey, we have 225 megawatts of power infrastructure. We got a good relationship with Bitmain. If we can build out this site to get Bitmain's newest machines. We could create a billion dollar business and the investment banks are telling us the same thing right now. All right. So that's what prompted us to start. We, we were able to secure funding based on those like billion dollar hopes. Um, and, and start building up the site with uh, with a really decent treasure chest of capital to throw at it, right? So it was it's one of these things that typically happens in a, in a Bitcoin mining cycle. Like, I mean, you also have capital being cheap and in, in broader macroeconomics at the time we're looking to raise. Investors are okay putting money into risky assets, um, and Bitcoin mining was new to the U.S. and everyone wanted to to have a piece of the pie, right? So we were able to raise just a boatload of money and, and go after it. Um, and then of course, like, like everything, <laughs> uh, bull markets go to bear markets and, and things get tough, but we had at least, a, what's saving us now is we had a good vision that efficiency mattered. Um, yep. so we, we committed to having the most efficient machines and some very high quality infrastructure. Um, right. So our uptime's very high. We have a great operating team, um, a lot thanks to Todd and, we have the largest deployment of hydro-cooled miners um, in North America, and that's also pretty much all thanks to Todd and and Steve Edwards, um, one of our great technicians on the site. Um, right. So, so this focus on efficiency, despite power markets being wacky, has allowed us to to persist. Um, and to give some context into mid-sea markets, it, as far as power pricing goes, you you probably have a better chance of predicting the weather. Right, because at least at least the weather a few weeks out, you have a decent idea of what it will be, um, and you don't have to think about a bunch of people placing like forward bets on what the weather is going to be, and that that's actually right. affecting what's happening. But that's what happened in the mid sea market. It's it's crazy. It's really tough to predict. So each month we have to be flexible with what we're purchasing, um, and kind of the like looking back on it, the only thing that could really operate at the site and be profitable is a Bitcoin mine. Because we can scale up and scale down each month. It, it's a pain, but it's something we can do. And uh, that's another beauty of Bitcoin mining. Yep. Yeah. 
absolutely. And then uh, as soon as the the bull market's back on, you probably just flip the switch forward and just forget about it because it's, you know, the power price could probably, you know, float around in there for you and it's not going to matter because the price is going to be so advantageous. Yeah, that's one of the things I've been meaning to do. And so for anyone listening, I'd, I'd love for the next guest to you know, maybe reach out to me. I, I want to learn more about just buying and, and selling uh, power and just how that all works. Like you said, it's, it, you know, it, you guys probably have a desk, you guys probably have people managing that for you. So I'm very curious about that. But so I appreciate the insight there. I'd love for you guys to maybe now touch on like, what was the sentiment of the town? So, I mean, this, you know, understanding that the, the infrastructure there could turn a house into a, a, a flat, you know, you had massive infrastructure. This thing is probably very well known in the counties there, probably supplied jobs for the majority of, if not, you know, the, the one town, the several towns around it. What was the sentiment during the bankruptcy when they found out, you know, that this new group was, the Merkel Standard was coming? And that you guys were going to mine Bitcoin. What what was the sentiment like at the beginning, and how did that change, or did it change? Yeah, well, so you're you're absolutely correct. It was by far the largest employer in the area in terms of payroll. They it actually, even though only 150 people worked at the site, and there's it's a huge county of almost 12,000 people. <laughs> um, they, nevertheless, it was about 50% of the private payroll in the county was on the one site. So there's really kind of three towns that were relatively accessible for employees. A few drove all the way up 45 miles from Spokane, but for the most part, they all came from the small communities in Newport, Washington, Priest River, Idaho. And then north of the mill is some really small towns, Cusick and their, you know, their, they're uh, blinking, you'll miss them type yep. towns, but there's a few people living there and, and in most cases have been there for generations. So um, the panic is maybe a bit of a strong, too strong of a word, but everybody was very concerned. Uh, having said that, everybody knew that the paper mill was distressed for a long time. Okay. So it was really kind of a fruition of, of years of legacy fears that came to pass. And so, some people kind of had planned for the future. Some always, you know, close their eyes and hope for the best, and, and it didn't turn out the best. Um, so initially, everybody that contacted me, that it, mostly everybody just wanted to know when we we're going to start the thing back up again and start pumping money into the local economy yeah. again. We also it cost about sixty million bucks a year uh, throughput before we made a dime. So all most of that money was was uh, spent locally on raw material supply, payroll, all that yep. in a in a small regional economy is a big hit. Um and of course, again, keep bringing this up, but it was in the middle of the pandemic. So even scary lots of uncertainty yeah. for people. Yeah. Yeah. So then there was a about a year lag time there before somebody bought it. It went bankrupt in June of twenty twenty. And then All Rise bought it at the end of May and really closed on it the first first week or so of June. So um, we're we're just about right now about two years since they closed on the deal. Um, 
in central Washington, there was a mining company that made some poor choices and went spectacularly bankrupt. And it was fed by a public utility. And so then that contaminated the utility business view of mining. Um, so we, we had some education that we needed to do to, to kind of address some history that was real and then some speculation that was inflated. Um, and at the same time, I'm sure you've seen all of the, the uh, negative press out on YouTube and wherever else. And, and so they're, they're highly dramatized, if not fictional fictitious excuse me i can't invent words on a podcast right uh so <laughs> the narratives um had some tangential uh relation to truth i'm sure but so the, you know it was an uphill battle at the beginning because right out of, of the gate there was a lot of, yeah a lot of uh sentiment out there that had people scared yeah. of it so we had to address a lot of those. We brought people in to tour the site. As soon as we had some miners going, we brought them in so they could hear them run. We gave them a tour of them. We used them to heat the building because, uh, again, like I yeah. <clears throat> always think in heat recovery, I needed to uh, do something to preserve the assets. The first winter when it was down, I bought propane, hired boiler operators, and kept it warm. The second winter, we put in Bitcoin yeah. miners. And we made money with the energy that we also hated the building with. So um, it's greener in a couple of ways, right? No CO2. And also, I, the uh, you already used the heat once and you're getting a secondary use out of it. That's green by itself. So uh, some of those things really changed the sentiment of a lot of people. <clears throat> we had to get some permitting through. And so... You know, public opinion was very important. We put some real effort into making sure we got our story out there. And I think we've we've uh, made very good progress. <coughs> That's okay. On that initiative. Holding yep. your up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can take over. <laughs> yeah, to, to give some other context too, right? So we have this, this other mining company in, in central Washington that goes bankrupt. Um, that, yeah. of course, gives some fears too. At the same time, we're also dealing with COVID. Um, and, you know, when we signed the joint venture with Bitmain, it's really exciting for us, right? The largest manufacturer in the mining space by a huge margin. Um, and they're, they're making these donations to the community alongside us. It, it seems really good. But then we forget, you know, there's a lot of stigma at the time against Chinese people, uh, Chinese Americans, and then especially foreign Chinese companies, yeah. right? So that, that also gave us an uphill battle. And then you have the mining moratorium also in New York and all these stories from Greenwich um, Generation Holdings and, and that they're somehow boiling a lake, which was never true, um, right? So there's a lot of misinformation that was floating around about the heat output of miners and and how terrible they are for the environment and how this is just uh, a play for the Chinese to, to, you know, sabotage us power infrastructure. Um, mm. And then there's some other misinformation, just, you know, I can't fault anyone for this, but thinking of a Bitcoin mine as something that's taking up a lot of power. Therefore you're taking power from my home 
and you're going to cause my my rate to go up. And in reality, I I understand this this view, and I think you know back in high school I would have thought of power the same way as there's a finite amount that can be used, um, and if some place takes it, it means some other place can't have it. But never had this aspect in my head of load balancing and the actual dynamics of power pricing. So there's this whole uphill battle to to try to educate the community on how we could come in and help actually incentivize uh, one by providing revenue, future build outs of power generation in the area, but also acting as this, this balancing load to help bring down residential rates over time, right? What happens when you've built out the generation capacity for a 225 megawatt paper mill in a small county, and then all of a sudden there is no paper mill to provide revenue for what was by far the largest load by tens, if not maybe a hundred times. Um, so that's yeah. kind of the, the educational battles we, we had to uh, we had to face, and there's a lot of different ways to go on ar- around that. But bringing people to the site and creating slide decks is one thing we did. Um, deploying miners that were dedicated to local schools is another thing we've done. So we have two miners dedicated to the local high schools that earn Bitcoin. I think they recently just earned 0.7 Bitcoin since inception oh, of wow. the site. Yeah, you know, funding a technology program at the high school with a Bitcoin miner at, a, at our site. There's yeah, lots of ways well, to go around it. Yeah, well, I'll have to, we'll, we'll come back to that too. Yeah. I, I do find that the power usage is maybe by far the, the sneakiest anti-Bitcoin, you know, sentiment out there because it, it plays on something that, like you said, Holden, seems so fundamental like well if they're going to use all that power then i'm not going to have any power it it's i find it it tends to be an education thing if you take the time to sit down with but you can't do that on a mass scale people's attention spans just aren't long enough for the the type of education you need to, to put them through i'm super impressed about the the local school though so say a little more on that. That's really exciting that you guys have a local school. It's mining Bitcoin and figuring this stuff out. And say more about that. Yeah, props to, to Todd, our CEO, or Todd and, and Monty, our COO. Hey. Monty, you really good yeah. for this one. Yeah, Todd, if it, I can let you take that one. Yeah, so as part of the education early on and, and trying to, to get – better balanced information out there, you know, acknowledging that, yes, it is, it uses quite a bit of power, but it, it provides some agility. Um, and like you say, the, the conversations are, are kind of complex, yeah. really. Power markets are very complicated. So you, you don't have a soundbite conversation over a beer with somebody and they understand power markets. That's um, right. So one of the ways was just to give minors to local high schools and they set them up pointed them to their wallet and got familiar with it. And, and of course kids tend to be receptive, much more receptive to, to tech than maybe uh, the old gray haired generation that finds it suspicious and they um, <clears throat> think it's some sort of scam, all that. The kids just think it's cool technology yeah. and it makes money. So they <clears throat> really, Dived right into it, and so three local high schools actually have a minor running. Um, that initially the idea was they would run, they would give it to them. Um, turns out that there's some 
implications with them earning money as a public institution, all this kind of. I was, yeah, I was going to ask about that next. I'm, I'm what that's going through my head right now is I'm like, boy, there's a lot of high schools and some college. There's a big college. We got the, the, you know, U of M, the Gophers here. Like, yeah, we need to start doing some educational programs like this too. So yeah, there were problems with them earning money, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So um, what we had to do is we helped them convert their their BTC to USD and then donated it to them. So essentially uh, they get all of the familiarity with mining. They, they understand the algorithm and how to set one up and what it takes, but the actual cash, we sort of have to help them handle it in a league. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Support for this episode comes from Sunnyside Digital. Are you ready for the next Bitcoin bull run? Get ahead of the game by building out your Bitcoin mining infrastructure now. Sunnyside Digital is your one-stop shop for everything Bitcoin mining, from transformers and switchgear to racks and miners. With a white-glove approach to understanding your needs, they'll provide you with the hardware you need at the most competitive pricing possible. Say goodbye to your sourcing headaches and say hello to Sunnyside Digital. Contact their sales team today at sunnysideinc.ca or via email at sales at sunnysideinc.ca. All right, now back to the show. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, again, you guys kind of have my my wheels spinning about, I about all that, sorry, I'll finish my sentences. You guys have my wheels spinning about all that because I think the best way to educate is to just let them touch it and feel it and try it and then realize that, oh, this takes a lot of power, but, I can still turn the lights on in this, you know, this particular room, like it, it ebbs and flows based on the, the capacity. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so Todd, you mentioned this, I'm, I'm going to kind of jump around in the conversation. Now you mentioned at the, the top that you guys, you know, were actually exploring reopening the paper mill. Um, could you guys maybe go into how that's going? Is that still on the table? Or are you guys still exploring that? Yes, it's very much still on the table. In fact, um, we reorganized a little bit at the end of last year so that my focus was restarting the legacy assets. Um, the the build out of the 100 megawatt first real project on that site was pretty much complete. And so the chief operating officer, Monty Stahl, is in charge of that. And, and I've focused to the degree possible on the the paper legacy assets and other products that could be made with that that equipment and infrastructure uh, there's a you know there's water to make paper with there's a lot lots of capacity to bring in fresh water there's effluent so um, you know treatment and it's as it, it would be able to treat a large community, like maybe a town of 50 or 60,000 people would have that size of a treatment plant. So it's got a lot of capacity. And so the idea is to diversify the, the legacy assets and um, mining and high density compute in general is one of the diversification plans, but only one, you know, so far it's the only one that's come to fruition. So just the way that, you in our region, um, holding 
mentioned Mid-Sea, Mid-Columbia. That's the price hub. And that's mostly dictated by the capacity of Bonneville Power Administration. They own most of the large infrastructure and they control what goes to any given site and, and the characteristics. So <clears throat> we initially put in a study that said we'd like to start the paper mill and we'd like to do 100 megawatts of, of mining. And initially they came back to us and said, well, that's a mixed load. And there was actually some data that was incorrect that was provided to mm-hmm. them. Um, that There was a uh, <clears throat> guy trying to help us out, actually, that he got some information that was incomplete. And so it has colored their study ever since. But the first study, when they came back, they said, well, that mixed load is going to be a problem for us. It's going to take us quite a while to analyze that. But if you want to do just mining, it's got a great power factor. You can do that yeah. right away. We can get you an answer quickly on that. <clears throat> um, so we said, okay. And as soon as they, we got the, the formal study back, then we launched into the next one to talk about the mixed load again. But in the meantime, we can build the crypto mine and actually get some business going on the site. Um, that study was the, the results actually we were, it's a very expensive game of jeopardy. We're trying to figure out how to ask the question so that we know the path forward based on the answers. Um, and so we, we've now funded three of these studies at about 30 in the low $30,000 range each. Jeez. So we're, we're over a hundred thousand dollars into asking the question. Um, we're still persisting with it. The, the power availability is good. Our markets, there's plenty of power to buy. Yeah. Uh, that's not the issue. It's actually the distribution and what um, they, they want some capital improvements on the site. And so we're, that's what we're working through now is, is if there's a path where we can do, and it's, it takes time for those capital. So yep. time is really the big factor. is it uh just the distribution that needs the the upgrades then because i i mean you guys touched on it you had 200 plus megawatts of infrastructure but that doesn't necessarily mean that that can flow at that sub is it just the the distribution then so yes um we've had some engineers that worked on the utility side before that they became consulting engineers. We've had uh, multiple, four different professional engineers analyze the capacity. All of them have concluded that it, because of the characteristics of the paper mill and the characteristics of crypto, both are a little bit unique in, in the manufacturing world. Their conclusion is it, the physics are fine, that we could take power. But Bonneville has to make sure that in every scenario they can supply the power over their grid. And so in a couple of different scenarios, if some of their distribution is not available, then the resistance goes up and they start to have problems with power factor. So they want us to put in capital equipment to boost voltage and power factor on the site. So it's not overall distribution. It's directly related to the site. Um, so I guess I'll divert for just a second because it's kind of cool. They make these machines that are synchronous in the correct power factor in the grid. And 
So there is one of those that's in the system that we pull from. But the paper mill used six 25,000 horsepower motors, synchronous motors, and they have the same effect. They also correct power factor. And we purchased some advanced controls just before the mill went bankrupt. We were installing some advanced controls that would have enhanced the ability for those also to help control power factor. So um, we've discussed a couple of times giving Bonneville control of the, of the power factor. There's it's what they call an exciter on the back of the motor. They can control that and manipulate the power factor like they need it. It really does not fit any kind of a normal model for them. So they're, they're pretty wary of, for them, you know, they're in a regulatory environment. They've got some really ironclad reliability yeah. uh, requirements, all those things. They're a little wary of this. You know, for us, we're kind of like, well, this is a cool new toy. You should plug in play and with it. come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's try it. So, but from their standpoint, you know, huh. when grandma turns on her lights or, you know, whatever the, the data center down the road that's got her uh, photos of her grandchildren on it, they need absolute reliability. So they're not so innovative. <clears throat> they're not as interested in, in trying out the edgy stuff. Interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. It that's what's interesting is that they don't want to, cause you said that they have the ability to go in and actually to control that, that function on the, the hardware. Um, I know that there are some grids that are, are very excited about that. And, you know, Foreman, the the minor management software actually has an API that lets utility companies that plug directly into the, the load so that they can actually, you know, the utility company can come in and curtail as a last resort if they have to. Um, mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah, well, it, it depends a lot on the source of your power. So the Bonneville system has a lot of hydro in it. It's predominantly hydro, very stable, not prone to to the rapid changes like an ERCOT or some of the other uh, grids. So that's partly why it has less value to them, that, that quick response. Yeah. But um, in our region, there's a substantial amount of intermittent generation due to the renewables. And so that it's an increasing issue for them to manage. Yeah. That's, that's something interesting of, right. This aspect of hydropower not being as intermittent, right. It's, there's this like idea of mining being great for renewable power and, you know, providing revenue to build out renewable generation, but it's kind of like you, you have to think about, what type of renewable generation is best suited for mining. And so there there are a lot of wind farms in the eastern part of Washington, specifically, I think, more the southeastern part. Um, So not necessarily up by us um, in Oosk, but there are ways to to get a PPA with some wind farms to, to layer in some wind power at the site. And that's where we can be more useful. That's been kind of one of the most interesting things, though, thinking about know how we deal uh, with, with the local utilities and right it's it's not all about this idea of bitcoin mining using renewable energy you have to also think about uh, right the type of renewable energy um 
I think that's something that gets overlooked in, in a lot of you know broader conversations about green Bitcoin, right? It's creating this yeah. thing that works well with the grid and, and works well with the utilities and, and matches up perfectly. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, that's a phenomenal point. You don't hear a lot of talk about hydro. I mean, I guess the other region with more hydro or, or noticeably more hydro is in Canada and they're so hostile towards Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining that no one wants to talk about it. Anyways, I was going to ask what, you know, we've kind of gotten bits and pieces, but what is the relationship with the power company? Is it, I mean, open enough where you guys can talk about this? Is it, you know, Todd, like you said, you know, this is a hundred thousand dollar question game at this point. Like we don't really want to talk to you guys cause you're charging us out the, out the backside for it or, can you maybe just touch on how things are with the power company? Sure. So we don't actually buy from BPA. We can, they sell only to utilities who then resell it. So our actual relationship, even though we need to convince the, the larger utility, the federal utility, that we're a legitimate business and, and they have some requirements about the characteristics of the load, all those things, we actually purchase from a local Ponderay is the is the uh, county we're in, so Ponderay Public Utility District Number One is where we buy it. Um, <clears throat> there were some folks that, again, initially when we started talking to them, they meet regularly. There's what they call uh, Waputa, Washington Public Utility District Association, something like that. So they all hear the the horror stories, and and uh, this utility really got stung in center center part of the state, and so they were not going to do that to their ratepayers. They're they very much very cautious. Um, you know, we've been in operation now for a year and a half um, at, at significant loads, and so I think that well, the relationship is is on much better footing than it was at the beginning because we demonstrated where we're you know not the apocalypse yeah. come and we provide some some extra revenue for them we don't purchase any power that they generate we fund it we give them money they go buy power from their the <clears throat> purveyor that they actually are selling all of their output to it right now at this current time and then resell it back to us and they they get some delivery fees for it and it's, it's stable revenue for them so uh, the the relationship is definitely heading in the right direction um, getting better they've they've got um it actually just added a new um person that is our direct contact he seems very collaborative so I, I think it's on the right track uh, that's good to hear um that that's really good to hear. So I, I do want to be respectful of time also. Um, and I, I think maybe a good way to kind of wrap, you know, as far as just questions and, and the discussion is, you know, from, from both, and I'd love both of your opinions on this, from your guys' opinions, what are some effective ways that, you know, we can start to communicate that Bitcoin mining you know, what good they can do, what, what good these operations can do for the local economies and communities. Could you guys maybe share your, your opinions on what are some effective ways that that can be done? 
Yeah, I'm happy to start it off. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for us, the, by far the, the most effective things um, is, you know, getting something that's physical right in front of someone so you can touch and feel the minor, right? I, I think that that initiative with providing ASICs to a school and doing educational classes is helpful, right? Especially because students can go back to their parents and talk about the school new thing and you know, if the PTA or something or a technology program is getting funded from Bitcoin, you know, it tends to change your opinion. Uh, if you make some money from Bitcoin, it yeah. also changes your opinion. Um, and I think some other things, too, is is just trying to bridge this gap between some really, like, interesting concept, but it's tough to, to uh, value something that's not tangible, especially when you're talking about an, an intangible currency like, like Bitcoin. Um, giving something back to the community that is tangible uh, and reusing waste heat is something that we're very interested in. So, so some project that's starting up right now at our site that we're uh, pushing towards is a, a joint project with Washington State University um, and, and some other folks on creating a greenhouse with waste heat. Um, so that's, that's something we can provide, yeah. yeah, food for the local community. Um there's also interesting aspects of, of what can be done with hydro miners, um, right? We, we kick off like a, a hot, salty brine with our hydro miners from, from Bitmain. And in some other locations, especially in Norway, I know this is happening. They're being used for farming salmon babies, right? Salmon baby incubation. Um, we could, huh. I mean, it, this is a long shot, but like, in the future, it is possible with these types of things to also like farm bull trout and, and the area we're in. Um, but there's all these interesting ways of, you know, creating food with the heat output from these miners. Um, and, and that's for me something exciting that, you know, people should start to look at creating this idea of like a digital currency, but that's also integrated into creating food for local economies. Um, while also being in touch with the cost of power in regional areas, right? You're starting to create this, this symbiosis and uh, this way to tie all these abstract concepts together. And I'm not saying I can, you know, line everything up, but it starts opening these really interesting thought lines into, you know, how should things be actually priced if you can tie all this together? Um, are, are we on the verge of creating like a, a better economic system for these base resources? So at the end of the day, all of this is energy, right? Right. Energy that, creating exactly right. money and food is energy and food's created by energy. Um, so th those are the really exciting things that, that we're looking at. Ways to reuse heat um, to create these tangible goods for local economies. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Holden. And Todd, I also would love your opinion on on some effective ways to communicate you know just just some of the good that can come from a bitcoin mining facility at a local economy yeah so he, he hit on some of the key ones we also partnered up with some some of the key uh, stakeholders in the area there's an indigenous tribe that's very close they're interested in food security for them so they have jumped in on this greenhouse project. So those kinds of partnerships really are important with, um, you know, it, it, when you have, um, uh, <clears throat> an underserved community that, 
the benefits and his participating, I, I think that needs to be a focus for for some of these, um, actually for all sites where it makes sense. Um, the, the, I guess one of the unique things about the paper mill was there was a, a workforce of people that had unique skills. And we hold mentions that we, we have the largest uh, deployment in North America of the hydros. So those same people live in the community. They're highly skilled. And so their narrative with the people they know has been really, really important as well. Cause they, they have lived in the community for a long time and um, their, their voice has a credibility that nobody, no outsider could. Um, and then we've educated them some on power markets so that they can start to have that, that conversation because it's complex. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, actually the paper mill lived and died on the energy markets as well, but the employees really didn't, uh, there are only a few that really got into it. So we've made a real effort to make that more transparent, how those systems work and, you know, why, why things happen the way they do and when they might not be so op- uh, obvious. Uh, we've also brought in several of the private power purveyors and they've got a vested interest in, in sending the right message. So, uh, you know, they've been very interested in using us as a as synthetic balancing um, that instead of changing generation yep. profile, if you can change the profile. Yeah. It's uh, and that component is, is brand new. I mean, they, they don't have what a lot of people will refer to as like a demand side battery. So it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. Um, well, Again, just to make sure we're keeping an eye on the time, guys, this has been a phenomenal conversation. We'll probably do for like a round two of this because I'd love to hear, you know, a little bit later in the future how these conversations are going, how, you know, the the introductions, because like you guys have been saying, it's you got to touch it and feel it. Um, So I'd love to hear how things are continuing to progress for you. I really love the the multiple use of the the energy and the resource and and the asset that's it's such a phenomenal approach to things so it's it's all very exciting guys i i always like to make sure i leave room for my guests to to give a handoff so that the the guests and the listeners can get in touch with you with merkel um so holden and todd please feel free to to share however and and whatever you guys would like um for that yeah. Um, you could, you can reach me at, uh, Holden, H O L D E N dot G U I L L I E S at Merkel standard.com. Uh, Merkel spelled like a Merkle tree, M E R K L E. Um, you can also go to our website. Um, yeah, uh, you know, we're open to, to answering questions. There's also an info at Merkle standard.com, um, for just general inquiries. If you want to ask questions there, but, Happy to answer questions directly to my email. Yeah, <laughs> I'm at Todd T O D D dot Baron B E H R E N D. It's not my fault. Nobody asked me. <laughs> uh, at MarkleStandard.com. and and um, <clears throat> there's also a website for the Legacy Paper Mill. If you're curious about that part, it is. Ponderé spelled phonetically, not like the French. So if you look at the county, it's spelled like French for earring, ear pendant. Um, but it's 
Just spelled phonetically P-O-N-D-E-R-A-Y, industries.com. Love it. So that that's awesome. I, I appreciate that, Todd, because I think I think the audience should absolutely go check that out too. Um it's I haven't seen paper mill uh infrastructure and equipment, but here in Minnesota we have a lot of woodworking and uh the equipment is is it's impressive. So yeah, check it out online and and uh please give give these guys a, a follow and and you know watch because they're doing some cool stuff. Uh, gentlemen, this was a, a blast. I really appreciate your time and uh, you guys take care. Thank you, Ben. All right, you too. Thank Forward you. Forward to round two.